Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hi, I'm Pat Williams, co-founder, senior vice president of the NBA's Orlando Magic. And what a treat it is uh, to be here with Jake Brown. The Jake Brown Show, folks. Tune in. You'll love it. Welcome to the Jake Brown Show on CBS Radio's Play.it, iTunes, and Spotify is where you find us. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, whatever you want to call it on the iPhone section where it says podcast and follow me on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook at Jake Brown Radio and follow our show at Jake Brown Show. A busy week in the world of sports As last night, the drama unfolded of the NBA draft lottery. And for the third straight year, how about this? The first time where this has happened where the team with the best odds to get the first pick got it. Three straight years, and that is the Boston Celtics via the Brooklyn Nets, which I will rip apart. And uh, Mr. King, not the King, but Billy King. And... The Lakers and the Hollywood show and the Ball family could go number two now as it really does set up perfectly for that to happen. We'll talk about the Knicks as well, who in typical Knicks fashion, it it seems like they didn't even get a first pick because the New York Knicks go from 7-8. And when you thought it couldn't get any worse, it, it really does for the Knicks. And it's the organization that is just in shambles along with the Brooklyn Nets. We'll talk lottery. We'll talk NBA playoffs. Greg Popovich goes off again after just a pitiful effort. Just a pitiful, abnormal effort by a Kawhi Leonardless San, San Antonio Spurs. A game that was over in the first quarter with a team that usually shows art, show none. As they lose game two, 136-100 after game one where Kawhi gets hurt and uh, the Spurs, with good reason, have have furious reactions Excuse me, to Zaza Pachulia closing out on Kawhi Leonard, leaving him out for the rest of game one after a 23-point lead evaporates and the Warriors win game one in a game that they just stole away from the Spurs, winning 113-111. And then game two, where they just get clobbered. And now it goes to San Antonio, and all momentum in this series is in the Warriors' hands. And it's hard for me to pick the Spurs, honestly, to even come close in this series now. A series that, if they had won game one, we're talking about a 1-1 series going to San Antonio. It's a completely different series, and now it seems like it's over. So we'll talk a little bit about that. And uh, we might get a call or two from Terry Collins' apologist as the Mets' struggles continue. And the Mets have been the talk in New York for all the bad reasons, while the Yankees have been the talk in New York for all good reasons as the Mets try and avoid getting swept today in Arizona in what should be the swan song for Terry Collins. Should have been days ago. But now if you get swept in Arizona, you have an off day Thursday tomorrow, it seems like the perfect time to fire him. Yeah, no one in the organization and most fans don't believe he's on the hot seat. So we'll hear from Terry Collins' apologists and why he, they are apologizing for a guy who can't control a team with full of injuries, of course. But it, it's been that way, it seems like, since he's got here. And obviously the Mets have more injuries than most. But it's always been the talk of injuries, 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 injuries. But sometimes you got to point to the man in charge who can't keep it intact. Sure, they play hard for him. Sure, he's great off the field. 
But when it comes down to it, when it, what it boils down to is how you manage in games. And he's incapable of doing that. No team is even in the same stratosphere of back-to-back times relievers are used and appearances in between games for relievers. The Mets lead the league by a mile. The Brewers are second, but like 15 appearances behind. I mean, the Mets, Terry Collins has burned this bullpen out, which is already bad. And and we'll, we'll, we'll give him credit and say, you know what, Sandy didn't put enough pieces in the middle relief really to put together a capable staff, especially, especially when your closer's out for the season. So we'll talk about that later on and hear from a couple of callers as well. But first... We got to start with the NBA draft lottery. We have to start with the NBA draft lottery. And you know who the real biggest loser is? It's the team that didn't even get in the lottery. It's a team that was not announced last night. It's the Brooklyn Nets. And we'll get into the Knicks as well. But the Brooklyn Nets are still paying the price of that blockbuster trade with the Boston Celtics that they made that you thought would have changed their franchise for the best. It came on July 12, 2013. The Brooklyn Nets acquired from, remember, this is the new Brooklyn Nets. They leave New Jersey, go to Brooklyn, try to revamp the franchise and get people in the seats. And Billy King who is going to be a former GM, really, for the rest of his life, not a current GM, with just the piss-poor trades that he's made throughout his tenure that we'll go through in a second. Acquired Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce, Jason Terry, DJ White, and a 2017 second-round pick from the Boston Celtics for Keith Bogans, Chris Humphreys, Chris Joseph, Gerald Wallace, Marshawn Brooks. Three first-round picks, 2014 was turned into James Young. 2016 was turned into Jalen Brown. 2018 coming up. So remember that. The Boston Celtics will have the Nets pick again next year, which once again could be the first pick. Oh, and don't forget, the right to swap first-round picks in 2017. Uh, Just a beautiful swap. A swap that would mean the Nets are going to take the Celtics pick, the same Celtics team that was the number one seed in the Eastern Conference and is now advancing to the Eastern Conference Finals. The same Celtics team that is having the greatest 24 hours a Celtics fan could have. Winning a Game 7 at home in the Eastern Conference Final Monday night. And less than 24 hours later learning that they would be the number one pick. Courtesy of Billy King and the Brooklyn Nets. It's going to take us a couple of more years and even more years to realize how bad this trade will end up. And the Nets are going to stink. And Billy King, man, oh man. What did he do? He did that trade. And what did the Nets do as a result of that trade? They never made it to the Eastern Conference Finals. The furthest they got was the Eastern Semifinals, where they lost in five to the Miami Heat. This trade and the trades that I'm about to go through have doomed the Nets franchise for what seems like an eternity. And we're just getting started here. It doomed them. In Brooklyn, in Brooklyn, it has doomed them in Brooklyn. It doomed them in New Jersey when there were seven people in the building at the Prudential Center when they moved to Newark after Continental Airlines Arena. Oh, and don't forget, as part of other trades, Billy King has also traded the Nets' second-round picks this year, 2018, 2019, 2020. So, I mean, by the looks of it, the Nets might not... Make a pick until the Michelle Obama presidency in 2020. Until the Kanye West presidency in 2020. Until the The Rock presidency in 2020. Donald Trump might be out of office when the Nets are making picks. And it's hard for a GM to ruin a franchise in one city, really. He's ruined it in two cities and two states. And he's catapulted one, the Boston Celtics. I mean, if if you're the Boston Celtics right now, you have to be taking Billy King out to the most expensive steak dinner because your team is in the Eastern Conference Finals. 
You might have Markel Fultz or Alonzo Ball fall into your lap. And then, heck, you might have the best player in the draft fall in your lap next year on a team that is already pretty deep, pretty young, and is built for the future. And while they don't have superstars, they have Isaiah Thomas, Al Horford, and then some good role players, they're about to have two studs in the draft. And now this draft is pretty good. And those top guys, I mean, you have five to six names that you might need. And a Markel Fultz is looking like maybe a future NBA star. And who knows next year, but you have to imagine the number one pick next year is going to be a Courier franchise. And if it's not, you can trade it for something that's going to help you. So the Celtics have, I mean, Danny Ainge has got to be, I mean, I'd give Billy King a kiss if I was him. So you want to know about those trades that Billy King made that has just been a nightmare and why... As I said, it'll be former GM. Nice guy, by the way. But let's just go through this. Because a lot of these trades, you're going to give it F. And I'll try to do it quick. And it starts in 2010 when he took the Nets over in July 2010 before this team did move to Brooklyn. August 2010, he deals Courtney Lee as part of a three-team trade. Getting back Troy Murphy. Who? Troy Murphy. Yes, the lefty was out of the league very soon after that. Courtney Lee, still in the league, a decent role player, but key words, still in the league. Troy Murphy not. December 2010, he acquires Sasha Vujicic, trades away Joe Smith, not the reliever that the Mets should have signed this offseason, and Terrence Williams. And a deal that also got them two first-round picks. Oh, look, Billy got two first-round picks. But wait, there's more. One of those was Marshawn Brooks, who was later traded in that deal with the Celtics. The other they traded away in the Joe Johnson deal. What did Sasha Vujicic do in a Nets uniform? I can't even recall him being in a Nets uniform. February 2011. Another one you'll probably give an F. Acquires Darren Williams, who went missing in crunch time in his time with the Nets and went missing because he couldn't stay on the court. Acquiring Darren Williams from Utah for Derek Favors, Darren, Devin Harris, two first-round picks, two more of those things that Billy and didn't really care about the future. And at the time, people said, you know what, this isn't a bad trade. But man, did that trade turn out to be an absolute nightmare. February 23rd, once again, 2011, acquired Dan Gadzurek, and Brandon Wright for Troy Murphy and yet again a draft pick. This one a second rounder. You know who the Warriors used in that trade to get in the second round? Oh, just some guy named Draymond Green. How many games did Wright play in a Nets uniform? 16. Gad Zurich was let go after 14 games. So how did that work out? The Warriors got Draymond Green. The Nets got two 15th men off the bench. Oh, we're still in 2011. We, this might be a long show if I keep going through this, but it just shows you the ineptitude of Billy King, and I have to go through them because I don't think there's almost none that are good in here. And it's it's amazing that a GM could be this bad for this many years. And listen, I am a Knicks fan, but I root for the Nets too. And you feel for them and their long-suffering franchise that has never won an NBA championship. And Pat Ananetti here running the boards is a Nets fan, is a long-suffering Nets fan, and will be one probably for the rest of his life when you look at these trades that I'm still in 2011 for. June 2011, they acquired Marshawn Brooks from Boston for Jawan Johnson in a second-round pick. Trash, basically. The next day, 2011, they acquired the draft right to Boyan Bogdanovich for a second-round pick. Hey, that was decent. I guess that's his first decent one. And But where's Boyan now? He was on the Wizards helping them get to a Game 7. 2012 comes around. Long. Here we go again. They acquired Cheryl Walls, who, I, by the way, I liked. For Mehmet Okur, Sean Williams, and the Nets' first pick. and Nets' number one pick. Which Portland uses to draft Damian Lillard. So by default here, now the Nets may have not made the same pick, but the guys that were on the board that took the Nets spot were Damian Lillard and Draymond Green. Two NBA stars now. 
at least Lillard and Green has become a big-time player on a big-time team. And King, don't worry, King put a top three protection on the pick, but the Nets finished with the sixth-worst record in the league. And the Blazers got one of the best point guards in the league. Let's keep going, shall we? 2013 comes along. Now, this trade at the time, you're thinking, is not that bad. And you know what? I like Joe Johnson. He was clutching. He was a good player. They acquired Joe Johnson from Atlanta for a Jordan Farmer, Anthony Morrow, Deshaun Stevenson, Jordan Williams, Yohan Petro, a first-round pick, and second-round pick. The Nets got production out of him. So that one, you know what? You give him like a C plus. Not bad. Skip along. 2013, I gave you the trade. Would you give you F, the blockbuster deal? With the Celtics, 2014 comes along. You acquire Marcus Teague. Doesn't matter. Acquire Marcus Thornton for Reggie Evans and Jason Terry, which actually looks like a pretty bad trade because Jason Terry went on and helped other teams make the playoffs. They acquire the draft rights to Markel Brown, who did anything. Billy acquired the draft rights to Xavier Timms. I don't even know who that is. Um, 2014, Corey Jefferson, another bad pick. They acquire second-round picks in 2015 and 2019 from the Bucks for Kid leaving, which, again, doesn't look very good as Kid leads the Bucks to the playoffs. They acquired Jared Jack and Sergey Karasos for the from the Cab. Blah blah blah. That didn't do anything for them. Um, acquired Thaddeus Young for Kevin Garnett. Actually, a very good trade. But again, they let Thaddeus Young go. 2015 acquired the draft rights to Ronnie Hollis Jefferson and Steve Blake for Mason Plumley, and the draft rights to Pat Connaughton. Eh, can't really answer that one. That's pretty much summed it up. Acquired Quincy Miller for Steve Blake. Quincy Miller is playing in Serbia. I mean, you give him an F. So I just went through all the trades Billy King made. We could be here all day for that. And they all were failures. And the Nets' struggles will continue. And we'll see what happens. The Nets have such a long way to go, but there's not many pieces as they're going to get a late first-round pick who might be a good player. But are they going to waste it on a, a Marshawn Brooks? On a Corey Jefferson, on a Markel Brown? Like, are they going to waste it on a guy who's going to be out of the league in a couple of years? Billy King's not there, so you would hope not. This is the Jake Brown Show on Play iTunes and Spotify. Let's transition over to the Knicks here, who you might as well not have a first-round pick at this point. I mean, that's what it seems like for the Knicks. They, they had the seventh-best chance to get the number one pick. Hope is there that they'll be in the top seven. And what happens? They drop to eight. I mean, the Knicks are going to nick. I mean, how bad can it get, folks, for the New York Knicks? How bad? They have so much to do, and and they talk. It's funny they talk about oh, there's six or seven. Can't miss players in the draft. And what happens? The Knicks get eight. This team is in such a disastrous situation right now with a superstar who might be on the go, with a young star who's not answering texts from the head coach who didn't go to the exit meetings because of frustration, and a bunch of cast of characters out of the show Survivor. I mean, what's going to happen with the Knicks? There's just no one that you can build. Like, do you say, hey, come get Porzingis? Melo, we don't know what's going to happen, and we don't know if they're going to be able to trade him for anything. So the times for New York basketball are just down in the dumps. They really are. The first pick goes to the Celtics for the first time in franchise history. Teams with the worst record have only gotten the first pick now seven times in 33 lotteries. If you do the math, that's around... A little under 25%. It's around 20%. Only a fifth of the time since the lottery has been established in 85, the team with the worst record got the first pick. The Lakers get number two, and the Hollywood show continues. Lonzo and LeVar may be teamed up, or I should say LeVar's son may be drafted by the Lakers if Fultz does go first. Or the Celtics could stick it in the face of the Lakers and take Lonzo first. But it just doesn't seem like a fit for the Celtics. If you're the Celtics, I would not 
take Lonzo Ball. It just doesn't fit with a team that's winning and you don't want to deal with that. Just let the Lakers be happy. Stick Hollywood with Lonzo and Lavar. Stick the family there and the Kardashian reality show on the way. And mixtapes coming from Lonzo. Stick them there. Let them sell their $500 sneakers in L.A. Don't bring that act to Boston, the East Coast. We don't need it over here. It just makes sense for Lonzo to go to. The Sixers, they do it again, folks. They get the third pick via the Kings. And with a, some good guards up top. Now, Lonzo's not going to fall to them. They can use a point guard. They have Simmons, who can play point. But he can also play shooting guard, could play small forward, could play power forward. He really could play uh, so many different positions. You have Joel Embiid and Okafor in your front court. So they're in a perfect position here to draft a guard, to draft a shooter. Because remember, Simmons is an okay shooter, but not a great shooter. This is your shot to draft a point guard or shooting guard at three. The Kings win in this. And by the way, Kings assistant Nancy Lieberman will be on the Jake Brown show We'll chat with her tomorrow. You might hear it this week. Maybe we'll drop it Monday. Follow us on social media to find out. But Nancy Lieberman will join us. Looking forward to talking to her, a legend. And her Kings get the fifth pick via the Sixers and the tenth pick via the Pelicans. So the Kings get two top ten picks here. The Magic, they pull a Knicks. They get the sixth pick. They had the fifth best chance. You had Pat Williams on the show. Make sure you listen to that. Who knew that the Magic would get the sixth pick? Around 7 o'clock, even though it was announced close to 9. These guys know two hours in advance, but I believe he said they take their phones and they can't really text anyone. The Timberwolves get 7, as I said, the Knicks get 8, and the Mavericks, who once they miss the playoffs, they said, Mark Cuban said, we're tanking. So they get the 9. They get a top 10 pick. So really, the big winner here is the Boston Celtics. The Kings win, getting two top ten. Losers are the New York Knicks, who, even though they only dropped one spot, it, it, felt, it feels like they're not even making a pick. And is the eighth pick really going to help their franchise? They'll either find a way to screw it up, or they'll have no players on the roster for that guy to play with. So the Knicks, as usual, are a loser. You are the weakest link. Goodbye. And as I said, the Nets, an obvious loser in this situation. Again, it's still early to start drafting. Oh, who's this team going to draft? Who's this team going to draft? But it's interesting to see how it plays out. Three straight years, you get the team with the worst rec- with the best chances. Celtics definitely didn't have the worst record. The Nets did. But the team with the best shot has got it three years in a row. And now the Boston Celtics, this week is literally heaven for the Boston Celtics. I mean, it just not get any better if you're a Boston Celtics fan. And that leads to a seamless transition to game one tonight. The Cleveland Cavaliers and Boston Celtics will take off in Boston. Don't forget, folks, Boston has home court. And this is where it kind of matters here. This is where them getting the one seed and Cleveland resting guys and not caring about their seeding might matter. Listen. I don't think the Celtics stand a chance against the Cleveland Cavaliers. I don't think King James will go down. Honestly, maybe it goes six. I think the Cavs might beat him in five. And we know the Celtics did have success in the regular season against Boston. This team is clicking. They just had a week off. I mean, the Cavs could have went to the Bahamas and chilled in Atlantis and still have time to get ready for the Celtics. That's how much time they've had off. I believe they last played last Sunday. I believe it has been 10 days since they last played. It has been 10 days. And it was five years ago when the King walked into that TD Garden, scored 45 points, and grabbed 15 rebounds in a Game 6 victory that avoided the Miami Heat's elimination from the postseason. And you know the story. You know how the story goes. The Heat won Game 7 at home and then captured the championship. Now, this is a brand new Celtics team from that team. We all know that. This is a completely different Celtics team. But one that's shown grit, one that's shown heart, one that's playing for Isaiah's sister, China, 
who unfortunately passed away, and he has put her on his back as kind of an inspiration for him in this playoffs. But this is a different animal the Boston Celtics are dealing with. The Wizards, ah, it's all fun and games. But when John Wall can't make a shot in Game 7 in the second half, when John Wall, notoriously been kind of a bad shooter from downtown, can't make an outside shot in an era where the game is all about outside shots, the Celtics took advantage of that. And finally, good series. But again, they took advantage one late, 115-105 in Game 7. Celtics took advantage themselves of getting this one seed. But will it matter? Will the Cavs be worried if the Celtics win game one tonight? Not a shot in the world. If they win the first two, hell, we got a series. Then it's going to be interesting. I just don't see it happening. I think the Celtics are at such a high point. And listen, I'm rooting for the Celtics. If you're a fan, you probably root for the Celtics. But if the Cavs win, I'm not going to be mad because guess what? Cavs-Warriors, as Pat Williams said, is going to be maybe the greatest series in NBA Finals history if it happens. We want ratings. We want a great series. And if we get that series, people, it's going to go seven and it's going to be a classic. So I guess for, for a good final sake, we want the Cavs to win. For the sake of the underdog winning, we want the Boston Celtics to win. And, man, if you get the first-round pick and go to the NBA Finals in a stretch of a week, I mean, forget what happens in the Finals because, I mean, the Celtics would get swept probably by the Golden State Warriors. I just think the Celtics do not match up well against the Warriors at all, and I think those games would not be fun to watch. So in terms of a good Finals, you know what? Go, Go LeBron. But it would be nice to see someone different in there. And with the Boston Celtics, you, you come into the season thinking this team's eh, towards the top of the East, but there's no way they take down the King. There's a ragtag kind of team. Sure, you have good players in there. You have Al Horford, you have Isaiah Thomas, you have the young guys, Jalen Brown, and you have pieces in place there. You have the legend of Kelly Olynyk dropping 26 and 10 of 13 shooting in Game Seven. You have cool pieces in there. You have Brad Stevens, the young head coach. But, man, this is a tall, tall task. No one has given the Celtics a shot. But, hey, they were down 2-0 against the Chicago Bulls and came back. They go out and beat the Wizards in a hard-fought seven-game series. What says they don't play their hearts out here? Who says that they don't have a shot? We do, the, the radio hosts, the podcast hosts, the experts, whoever you want to call it is not giving them a shot, which only means that they should have a shot. But listen, I don't like the matchups for them. Kyrie versus Isaiah is going to be fun to watch. But is anyone going to stop LeBron James? I don't think so. I just don't see I don't see Crowder stopping him. I don't see Bradley stopping him. I don't see Marcus Smart stopping him. Terry Rozier. I don't, Jalen Brown. I don't see any of those guys. Being able to contain the king, who is 10 days rested. He wanted to talk about rest all season. Oh, boy, you got it. The most rest this guy has had since, honestly, prior to the preseason. I mean, this guy hasn't had 10 days rest since probably September. And he, Listen, when we talk rest, we're talking about not playing competitive action. Obviously, he's always working out and practicing, blah, blah, blah. And he was practicing over this time. But in terms of giving your all in 100%, this is the most time he's had since September. And a well-rested Cavs team ain't nothing to play with. I'm taking the Cleveland Cavaliers to win this series in five games. Maybe it goes to a six, but I'm going to say five. I think Boston wins one at home. But the Cavs take care of business in their home games. So I'll say five, leaning on five to six, but I'll go with five. If it goes to seven, I'll be happy, but I'll be surprised. And the other side, I mean, it's been all Golden State Warriors, as I talked about earlier. All Warriors. 
the Spurs just let the series slip away. Usually, listen, I'm not someone who gives up on someone after two games. I'm usually a guy who says, you know, if you're down 2-0, you're still in the series, you're going home. But it seems like the Spurs have just had the life sucked out of them. Even though Mike Brown could barely get into the building prior to game two, security didn't realize it was him, I guess. And Popovich calls Mike Brown and just starts cracking up, saying it's the funniest thing he's seen all day as their team bus passed by. But really, security should not have left left the Spurs in the building because that was an embarrassing effort. Giving up 72 first-half points, trailing by 28 at the half, 31 after three, and losing 136-100. Giving up 136 points. A team that's known for his defense, a team that's known for his coaching. No life without Kawhi Leonard. And they did it in game six when they went out and beat the Rockets, when James Harden was a no-show They went out and said, you know what? We can win without Kawhi. But it seems like Zaza Pachulia's dirty closeout, it was dirty, and Zaza Pachulia's been known, and I'm sorry, Zaza, I know we're LinkedIn connects and all, but you're a dirty player. This has happened multiple times, and Pop pointed to it. Listen, I've seen dirtier plays than that. Draymond Green kicking a guy in the nuts is dirtier than Zaza doing a closeout that was a little bit unnecessary. But Zaza has had prior experiences like this. Do I think it was suspension-worthy? Probably not. Because you couldn't really... It wasn't one of those intentional elbows or a punch or what Kelly Oubre did. It, it, it was more of a subtle kind of move, going out and basically stepping on him when he tried to contest a three. It wasn't necessary. It was probably fine-worthy, maybe. 10000 15000 wasn't suspension-worthy. But it seems like it's the Zaza show because he has gotten in the minds of the whole team. They blow a 23-point second-half lead, a 25-point lead at one point. And as soon as Kawhi Kawhi was out of that game, the Warriors just took over, and that place was rocking. And then game two wasn't even a contest. 2-0. Now, the Spurs are going to win one at home here, maybe two. But the Warriors are are not losing this series. I mean, not a shot in the world they lose this series. I honestly would be comfortable even making like a bet that they wouldn't. But we won't do that because you never know in the NBA. Someone could get hurt. Kawhi could come back and dominate. But let's say Warriors in five. I don't know if Kawhi or Leonard will be ready for game three, but man, do they need him. And they might need him to play on one ankle the rest of the way, and then rested for a couple of months. This is the Jake Brown Show. CBS Radio's Play.it, iTunes, and Spotify is where you find us. Warriors Cavs, it's setting up, folks. It's the inevitable is going to happen. And I talked with Pat Williams about this. Now, he said it's always been this way. It's always been those dominant teams and then everybody else. But I just feel the competition come playoff time is not what it used to be in the NBA. And I understand it's always been certain franchises. You had Bill Russell Celtics. You had Magic Lakers. You had Jordan's Bulls. You had the Kobe and Shaq Lakers. You had the the, the Popovich, Duncan, Parker, Robinson, Spurs. Mixed in with a little Chauncey Billups. Mixed in with a little KG. Paul Pierce, Boston Celtics. And now the LeBron, the new LeBron Cavs. The new Curry Warriors. I understand. It's always kind of been that way. But some of these series were snooze fest. And some of these series were unwatchable. Back-to-back sweeps. On both sides of the board. And we don't have those cool rivalries. We're trying to form Wizards, Celtics, and call it a rivalry. Guys, some of those games, a lot of those games were blowouts. Good rivalries, good series. Now, while they wore black and they hate each other, blah, 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 their elbows, punches. Good series and good rivalries are neck and neck almost every game. Tight games. Most of those games were not tight. Game six was tight. Game seven was pretty tight. 
But from I mean, the rest of the series was not like you have to be invested in every second of the game. And that's concerning. But it's a coin flip. Do you take the Warriors? Do you take the Cavs? Do the Warriors get revenge? Kevin Durant is playing well and he's healthy. I give I'd probably give the nod to the Warriors. But it's the King. And the Cavs are well rested. We'll see how this series plays out. If the Celtics take them seven games and the Warriors wrap this up in four or five, it's going to be a little flip-flop. The Warriors will get the rest and the Cavs will be right back at it. We'll see how it plays out. But again, Warriors in five. Cavs in five. I think they're going to be short series. And it's unfortunate that they won't be good series. But we'll see. I've been wrong many times before. And hopefully for the sake of ratings and a good series, I'm wrong again. Because, hey, we need some good NBA to watch. We need some good basketball to watch. Because the team I have to watch play baseball just can't win a game. They're giving up moonshots by Hansel. I'm not so hot right now, Robles. And they're paying guys to hit 180 and 190. When there's guys in AAA raking by the names of Dominic Smith and Ahmed Rosario who aren't getting their shot yet because they're quote-unquote not ready, you need a spark. Teams need a spark. Basketball, Kelly Olenek was that spark in Game 7, dropping 26 out of God knows nowhere. But teams need that spark. People also need water, too. Um, But the Mets need a spark right now. And we'll get into it a bit with a couple of calls on Terry Collins. And why there are Terry Collins apologists. Now, I tweeted it out, again, at Jake Brown Radio, Jake Brown Show. People asking who you're going to replace him with and why. I mean, at this point, I'll say Dick Scott. But we'll argue that in a couple minutes with those guys. But sparks come in sometimes players. Sometimes they come in managerial and coaching changes. And I know there's injuries. I know Noah Syndergaard is out. I know Yoannis Cespedes is out. I know Travis Darno is out. I know Estrubo Cabrera is now out. I know David Wright has been out. I know Familia's out. Listen, I get the injuries part. But injuries are part of the game. And it's not like the roster that they have right now is incapable of going 500. They are. And I think he should have been fired a long time ago, Terry Collins. But how many more losses do you have to endure to say he's doing a terrific job with what he has, with what he has? How much more of that BS do I have to hear? Is there a guy in house that could do better? We don't know because we haven't seen it. We just don't know. But why not try? Why not give someone else a shot to take this team over 500? I don't think any fan would be mad at all if Terry got the pink slip. If they are swept by the Arizona Diamondbacks today and you go into an off day, there's no better time to do it than now. Get a fresh reload it, fire him after the game, or pull, pull a Willie Randolph on his ass and fire him on the West Coast like they did a Willie. You get swept by a Diamondbacks team who is not as good as you, it's time to go. This team just keeps losing and losing and losing. Why not bring in a new manager now, bring in your reinforcements as Cespedes is coming back, as Mats and Lugo will be back probably by the end of the month, Get those reinforcements in. Cabrera probably soon. Darno probably soon. Get those guys back with a new guy at the helm and see what happens. What's the worst thing that can happen? It's not going to get much worse than what you're seeing. The bullpen has been bad, and bringing in a guy like Ramirez who had an 8 ERA this season isn't going to really help. And listen, Sandy's got to make moves too, but it's May, and a lot of teams don't want to give up pieces right now. But honestly, what's it going to do? 
what's firing him going to do that's going to make this team worse? It's going to do nothing. Tomorrow, Thursday, May 18th, 2007. 17. 2007 would have been the pre-collapse days. Um, and we'd be at Shea Stadium. But May 18th, 2017. Here's what you do. Here, here You wake up. You grab your cup of coffee on Thursday morning. You write off Terry Collins. You pay him off for the rest of the year. You fire his ass. Then... What do you do? You call up Ahmed Rosario, insert him in the lineup, play him at shortstop. You call up Dominic Smith, insert him in the lineup, play him at first base. You bring in some young talent who is crushing the ball at the AAA level, and you see what these kids got. You platoon at third base, you play Reyes some days, you play Flores some days. If a lefty's pitching, you play TJ Rivera at first, you, you, you platoon Rivera and Smith. But the time is now to see what these guys got. Don't tell me they're not ready anymore. This team needs to spark, and if you can't trade for one, then use what you got within. We've seen teams get sparked by players. When Conforto came up and was lighting it up, that's a spark. Not saying they're going to pull a Conforto, but what is Lucas Duda doing that's helping you? And listen, I understand the naysayers who want to say it's been the pitching, but don't tell me the hitting's been great. Sure, they had a nice weekend in Milwaukee, but the hitting has been inconsistent, and they've left a small army every night on the base pass with runners in scoring position. It seems like on the regular. Bring up a spark. Bring up the youth. See what the youth has got. You have a home series versus the Angels this weekend. That place could be packed. If you make a managerial change, if you bring up a Rosario, you bring up Smith. Bring the reinforcements, and you might have something cooking here. It's May. There's plenty of time to save this season. But going with the regular old, the old routine, is it's getting old. It's getting old with your manager, who didn't make the playoffs until he got his AARP card at age 65. It took him longer than almost any other manager ever to get to the playoffs. At 65, an average person retired. At 65, Terry Collins saw October for the first time. You're going to tell me he's a good manager? Tell me that when he, he manages successfully in games. He's worn out a bullpen. He pitched a guy three days in a row in Jarrett's Familia. Coincidentally, his season ended that, t- that day. With a horrible injury to his shoulder. Listen, is it because he pitched three days in a row? I can't guarantee that. But factor in warm-up pitches. When these guys pitch in the bullpen, the warm-up, 20 to 25 pitches. When they pitch on the mound, when they get out there, 15 to 20 pitches, that's already 40. Not saying that they're throwing 97, 98 in those pitches, but you can't, you can't forget about those 30 to 40 other pitches that they're throwing besides the maybe t- 10 to 12 that they threw in the game. You have to add up the warm-up, which sometimes are more than what they do in the game. And there's a, it's a move like putting a guy, your closer, in a 6-1 game where you where you have a day game the next day. That is something that Stevie Wonder would have done. So we'll get more fired up on this as we take calls on the matter. We're going to talk with some Terry Collins apologist Mets fans. And uh, turn off, you might have to turn down your volume in a second because you might hear me get fired up when I yell at a couple of callers who want to defend Terry Collins. This is the Jake Brown Show played out at iTunes, Spotify. Check out the Pat Williams interview. Check out Nancy Lieberman coming up on the show very soon. And we'll have some more guests next week. And on a side note, how about LeGarrette Blunt signing a one-year deal with the Eagles? No longer with the New England Patriots. How about that? Some other little nuggets Bennett says Seattle's the perfect place for Kaepernick. <laughs> I wouldn't mess up with that chemistry. I don't know if I'd bring him in there, but I guess as a backup, whatever. He's not going to play unless Russell got hurt. NFL reportedly shortening overtime to 10 minutes. I could deal with that. But, I I mean, you're just going to have maybe more ties, and ties suck. No one likes a tie at all. Giselle said Brady had a concussion last year. Obviously, that's going to become news. And teams are sizing up trades for for D'Angelo Russell. How is D'Angelo Russell 
Still a Lakers uniform. I would trade him immediately now that you have probably lots of ball falling in your lap. Get rid of that scrub. Not scrub. But I'm surprised they even kept him after that whole Snapchat controversy. That's it for the Jake Brown Show. This part of the show. Now we're going to take callers coming up right after this. CBS Radio's played on it. iTunes, Spotify, Terry Collins apologists are coming up next. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Oh, just an old Wednesday in the park as the baseball music fired up for the last 15 minutes of uh, this week's edition of the Jake Brown Show on CBS Radio's played on iTunes and Spotify. I don't take callers a lot because you never know who will call. But calling in now, we will take some callers for Terry Collins, apologist here on the final segment of the show. Calling in now, we have Anthony from Trumbull, a Terry Collins apologist. And Anthony, tell me why you are, and we'll, we'll hear your take. Hey, Jake, thanks for having me on. Uh, I'm the leader of the Terry Collins Apologist Club. I uh, Actually, years ago, I was in the same position as you. I called for his head multiple times, but given the last two years where he's actually had a talent pool, he's actually had people to work with, real MLB players, uh, I think he's more than proven his ability to not just lead but rally the troops in times of uh, times where they really need it like they do now. Um, I think if you talk to, if you listen to any player talk about him, he he has the clubhouse. It's not a case where he's lost them. And I think that, yeah, uh, right now they're struggling. It's not really a secret, but it'd be tough to pin on a manager given the state of the organization in terms of injuries of what he really has to work with. But listen, other managers have to deal with injuries. This happens. The team just can't stop losing right now. And don't you think this? they need a spark? Don't you think this guy has struggled managing in games? He used Familia three straight days for no reason whatsoever. He, he's left starters in too long. He's, he's mismanaged the bullpen where they lead Major League Baseball in bullpen appearances and guys don't get, not getting rest at all in between days. And continuing to think that guys can go three straight days doesn't take any blame on, on himself. There's a time where you need a spark, where you need something different. And this is the time, Anthony. Now is the time where you make a change and try to rally the troops with someone else at the helm. There's there's so much that could be said for a guy, what he does off the field. When do managers not get credit for what they do in the game? I think you what you have to do in between those nine innings is important, and he has failed to do that successfully. You know, I don't disagree that some of his in-game, uh, you know, things he does in-game, are questionable. I, I will agree with you there, but you know, I think the one thing about Terry that I've always liked is when they ask him about it after games, he does have a logic to what he does. It's not always right. We're not always going to agree with it, but that's the case with anyone. I mean, you just said he leaves starters in too long, and you also said the bullpen gets too tacked. It's it's a catch twenty two. If you leave starters in after the fifth inning when they're throwing hundred pitches through five, and then you have to tack the bullpen. It happens. But he's so inconsistent in with that. Anthony, we're, la- we're the other day where Matt Harvey needed to be pulled after those five innings. Needs to feel good about himself. He should have been nowhere near that sixth inning. And what does he do? He gets rocked in the sixth inning and the game is over. A game that was tied turns into a game over because of that situation. He's just inconsistent with his decisions. No, I don't disagree with you, but it's it's the situation he's in. I mean, you're right. He should have not started Harvey for that next inning. I agree with you there, and I agree mentally, especially Harvey needed it. But then you bring in the bullpen – all of a sudden, the bullpen, which, as you mentioned, is highly taxed right now, gives up a couple runs, and now you're saying, hey, Harvey was cruising. Why didn't you leave him in for another inning? Why are you putting that bullpen that's already tired out there to blow the game? But there's certain points, situations when that can happen, especially when it comes after an off day. That was a Friday. They had Thursday off. It's different when we're talking about a Friday after a day off than on a Thursday when he used Familia in a 6-1 game, by the way, that he said after the game, we needed to win. Could you? I mean, what kind of reliever is going to enjoy a manager with no trust to be put in a five-run game? I mean, even I would have even put Montero in that spot, how bad he was. Put someone in in a five-run game that's not your closer when it's a day game after night game. That is baseball 101. In May, you do not put in a 99-mile-an-hour 
99 mile per hour closer in a 6-1 game when you know you might need him about 12 hours later at 1 o'clock. Yeah, no, you're right. I agree. I agree that was the wrong decision. I don't know why he's familiar in that spot. But to base it off that one clearly misuse there, I can't I can't say that that's the fighting over that should cost him his job. It's, at some point, it has to come down to the players on the field producing, and they're not right now. It's an easy scapegoat to say it's Terry's fault. But if the guys go, go out there and throw pitches, if starters can't go more than five innings, bullpen can't hold the lead, you can't blame that on him every time. I mean, that in that instance, you're right. It, he used a million when he shouldn't have. But it comes out that Familiar's injured anyway. So it's it's tough to put the blame on him when the players don't get the job done. All right, Anthony from Trumbull. He's now if Terry's if Terry's gone, are you going to be frustrated? Like what's your, what's going? Th- I mean, I'm going to throw a parade and I'll probably get drinks for everyone. But what, what's your <laughs> what's your take if Terry uh, is fired? Hey, I know you you definitely be excited about it. Uh, I guess I'd see who they replace him with and go from there. I mean. Listen, I don't know who you're going to get to come in. I don't know who the clubhouse is going to rally around. I don't think the players are going to be happy with him gone. I truly believe the players like him. And in this situation, where they've been a couple years in a row now, where they've been middling, they've been struggling, he rallies the troops. That man can get a team to play for him. Even when they were bad years ago, they never were a team that was giving up and playing out the string. I don't think you find somebody better in terms of getting the team to play and turning around. I think he's your best option right now. All right, Anthony, we'll see. I mean, if, if he doesn't rally the troops now, I mean, either way, unless they win a World Series, this seems like the swan song the last season for Terry, and they do go elsewhere. Thanks for the call, man. All right, I don't, I don't disagree with you there. Thanks for having me, Jake. And, and a good call there from Anthony from Trumbull. Now we have another call, Greg from Queens, another Terry Collins apologist. Greg, why are you a Terry Collins apologist? Well, I'm a big Terry Collins apologist just because – you look at the fact that what do you need in sports? And one of the big things that I've always talked about is you need consistency in sports, especially with your head coach and management and things like that. You see all these football teams and these baseball teams consistently turning over managers, and it just it doesn't do any good. It doesn't really do any good. You have to trust the process in, in this situation. And you look at the teams when Terry Collins came in in 2011 – he came into a rebuilding team, and he knew that. And he knew it was going to take a couple of years, and I think everybody kind of just thought, you know, once the Mets are ready to be good, that they'll change managers. They'll get Terry Collins out of there, and they'll bring somebody else in. But they let Terry Collins have an opportunity to manage a good team with that good young talent that he helped develop when he was the minor league, you know, developmental coach down there in the minors. And, you know, those first couple of years, I think he had 77 wins, 74, 74, and then 79. And that's, you, you went back, you look back at those rosters, Jake, I'll tell you, it is brutal. There's, there's really nobody there. That's right after the deal, obviously, the really Randolph years and the Jerry Manuel. So it, it, it's just really tough for me to say that he needs to go. I know, you know, you could say this about every manager, that they, you know, have made bad mistakes and, you know, they probably should have thrown this guy that day or, you know, put this guy in that situation you can say that about every manager, but I look at the job Terry Collins has done over the last couple of years with talent, and he's gotten them to a World Series, and he's gotten them to the playoffs with a beleaguered roster full of injuries last year. But how, say, how Greg, are you going to defend a 16-21 and 21 record? Injuries have always been there. Injuries are part of the game. The guy cannot manage in games. He's had little success. He, he He's burnt out a bullpen. that I, I've, t- I've talked about this before. The bullpen continues to get, get overused and putting guys in wrong spots and overusing Hansel Robles who is a moonshot machine just giving up homers. And he's, he hasn't won since he was six. It took him till he was 65 to finally get to the playoffs. He's been managing for 12 years. What? Who else do you want to throw out there for relievers? We don't have anybody in the bullpen. There's nothing you can do. I mean, I think Jerry Blevins and Addison Reed have been good. There's times you can use Reed prior to the ninth inning if you need him. And there's also times where he's struggled. What happened to Addison Reed last game? And Jerry Blevins can't even pitch a full inning. So, you know, in in, in that respect, you know, he has no choice but to mix and match and try to throw these different guys in there. I agree Hansel Robles needs to go away, far, far away, because I don't think he's He's any kind of good. You need to bring, you know, just, just you might as well try other guys at this point. I know they just signed a reliever. Um, Ramirez. Just need to, yeah. 
yeah, they just need some, some fresh arms in there or something because this bullpen is just beaten and beleaguered. And I understand you, your, your point of injuries happen to everybody. I mean, you look at the Nationals. They don't even have a closer. They've had you know, injuries in their bullpen. They've had injuries to Steven Strasburg over the last couple of years. Adam Eaton went down this year. Bryce Harper's been in and out a little bit sometimes. Uh, but if you look at this Mets team and you tell me the three guys that make you know, the, most, uh, the most important for this success this year, you look at Syndergaard, Cespedes, and they're, both, they're all out. And, and Syndergaard and Familia are going to be out for a while. But listen, listen. Hopefully will come back in a couple weeks. But Greg, this is one situation where the manager is getting no blame. Every sport we see in the NFL, if your team starts one and four, your coach gets fired. In the NBA, if your team starts two and twelve, your coach gets fired. In MLB, we saw with the Braves recently, where in April they fired their manager early on in the season. This is one situation where your your time wears out when your your team struggles like this team had, and if this team gets swept by the Arizona Diamondbacks today, there's no better time to make a managerial change and to make a change uh, in the infield with a Rosario maybe down. Dominic Smith, then tomorrow on an off day, bring some spark into City Field, into the life of the fan base who may not even show up this weekend because the team might come in 16-22 and 22 and losers of seven straight. If there's a time to do it, it's after you get swept by an Arizona Diamondbacks team that's not that good. This Mets team, even though they're hurt, even though they're they're bewildered right now, this is not a terrible roster that should be five to six games under 500. A manager needs to get blamed, and if they lose today, I mean, how many more losses is it going to take for you to fire this 68-year-old who has made the playoffs just really once besides the one-game playoff last year? I mean, how many more losses is it going to take? I mean, you, you could take a lot because I don't think Terry Collins is going anywhere, but, but let me let me ask you this. What is the problem right now? What was that? What is our problem right now? Is it hitting or is it pitching? I mean... It is both, but there are. Here's the thing: when a team is bewildered, when a team loses so many players, when it, when a team just is is like this in close games, you need your manager to take you over the top and win those close games. And there have been so many times where in tight games where the Mets have lost by one or two, you point at one decision that was made by the manager that was inept that lost them those games. Those at the end of the season when you maybe missed the season by one or two games, those are what you point to. Look at this game, look at this game, look at this game. A manager in close games when your team is down and out, when players are out, has to get the job done. And you can't even deny that there hasn't been times where he hasn't in close games. He's just struggled with decision-making. No, he hasn't struggled with decision making because you don't know what goes into those decisions. You don't know if somebody's, you know, you know, feeling a little off or they're a little under the weather or they're hurt. He can't really use them and doesn't want to put them in a position where they he knows they won't be successful. So we have to try somebody else. I think that's something that that people who haven't managed and who haven't really been around the game don't really understand that sometimes there's those little things that us as fans don't always see and don't always hear about that they keep in house. And you really have had to be kind of behind the scenes to really realize that. That's what a lot of people just want to, you know, go out there and fire Terry Collins on a whim. You know, this is another thing that that I haven't brought up, but I, I think is a great point that Terry Collins has never lost the locker room. His guys always play hard for me. You mentioned Atlanta. You know, they they let go of their manager. I think he lost that clubhouse a little bit there, and that's why they made a move. And now you, you look at the Mets and what Terry Collins has done, he has never lost the locker room. He's never lost the clubhouse. His guys consistently show up and play hard for him no matter what. And he cares about his guys. You hear him talking about his guys. Sometimes he gets a little emotional about things because he, you know he really, really cares. And I think the Mets fans haven't shown him that, you know, that we care about him because I think we should. And, I don't think enough people do. All right, Greg, we got to run, but uh, I mean, we'll we'll see. I mean, I'm you know I'm throwing a parade if they fire him anytime soon. Um, but again, thanks for calling in as a as one of the rare Terry apologists. <laughs> anytime, Jake. I'll, I'll be happy to have this debate with you anytime. Later, Greg. That was Greg from Queens, and uh, we got to wrap up the show here. Thanks to Greg and Anthony for calling in. I mean, I could argue that for days upon days. But again, we all know I'm right on this subject. Terry has got to go. And we'll see if they lose today. I mean, how much more can you endure as a Met fan? Something has to change, and changes usually start at the top. They start with the manager. Thanks, everybody, for listening to this edition of The Jake Brown Show. Make sure you check out that Pat Williams interview. Very insightful. And also check out Nancy Lieberman 
who will be coming on the show as well. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, and check us out on Spotify and Play.it. We'll catch you next time right here on The Jake Brown Show. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.